the book of Romans as we continue in our series uh, called Made Right. I explain that to you every week. The reason we titled it Made Right is because we can't make ourselves right. That's something that Jesus has done for us. Today you're here. If you haven't been with us, this is a communion Sunday. And if you'll notice, there's a couple tables up here in the front. And there's a couple on the sides. At the end of the service, we're going to give you opportunity to uh, go and to receive communion. You can pick those up and take them back to your, your seat there. And uh, there's, it's a little tricky, but uh, it can be done because even I figured out how to do it. Uh, but you've got to peel that top back and remove that little wafer from there. And then peel the next layer back and that gives you the, the cup of juice underneath it there. And uh, you'll receive that yourself. And it's just a, a great, great opportunity. Communion Sundays are so so wonderful in the life of the church. You know, when you think about all the things that the Lord has commanded us to do, uh, these are the pinnacle for the church is water baptism. If you've never been baptized in water, uh, we'd like to help you with that. Because if you think about it, um, you know, uh, it's communion and baptism. These are the two things, the ordinances that God has given the church to do. And uh, communion is, is such a wonderful experience for us because Jesus said it himself. He said, you know, as often as you take this bread and you drink this this cup, you proclaim, you know, his death until, this is the beauty, until he comes, amen? Uh, he's coming back. And so part of receiving communion is to be able to sit there and be reminded that no matter how bad things get, no matter what's going on in our life, guess what? For the believer, the best is still yet to be, amen? He's, he's going to return for us. And when he does, he's going to make every wrong right. The world as we know it is going to be completely turned upside down. And uh, what a glorious day that will be. And so being able to celebrate communion is obviously something that only believers can do. If you, if you haven't received Christ, if you haven't received the forgiveness of your sin, it uh, doesn't mean that you couldn't, you couldn't take communion. That's what you'd be doing is you'd just be taking it though. It would be a very lousy tasting wafer and even worse tasting cup of grape juice. That's what it would become to you. And, and it's an amazing, you know, though we don't believe in consubstantiation or transubstantiation, we don't believe that that becomes the body of Christ or in any way, shape or form. But we do believe that there's something mysterious when we receive communion together. There, there's something in the, the very essence of God's presence here that's unique to this moment that he's, you know, definitely not in it, but he's in it, so to speak. He's in the moment there with us. And uh, we love celebrating, you know, communion together. And our hope and prayer is that for every person in here that you have received Christ as Savior. And Lord, if you haven't, you could do it. Heck, you can do that right now. All you have to do is just you know, open your heart to him. You're here for a reason. Obviously, he, he led you to this point. And it's as simple as saying, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. You're a Savior. And I know that you, you came and you lived and you died and you rose again for sin. You conquered sin, death with your life. And I'm asking you to conquer it in my life. Be my savior and be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. And that's what he does. And the greatest blessing of communion is this. When you take that cup, that's what this really reminds all of us today. It's, it's more than just saying, and it would, would have been enough. It had only been his death, right? And, and, and his resurrection that we were celebrating that would be good in, in and of itself. But for the believer, it's, it's one more thing. It's the realization when I take that bread and you take that bread and you take that cup is that when we ingest that, it's the reminder that he's in us 
and that he's with us. And that as we're studying in Romans chapter eight, like the song would declare of old, ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no river wide enough to keep me from you, right? That's what the Lord is saying is that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And so when we receive communion, that's what we're reminding ourselves that he is, he is in you and he is with you everywhere that you go. And what, what comfort that is, what encouragement that is, especially in a world as, as you know, off base as it is, is today and it's even getting worse. But to know that no matter where we go, he's right there with us every step of the way. Amen. So enjoy, you know, at the end of the service, this wonderful, wonderful time of communion. Um, so if you have a Bible handy, we're going to read verses uh, 17 through 21 in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read this from the NLT translation. Uh, I titled this morning's message, The Secret to Suffering. And some of you will be going, just keep it a secret. You know, they, I, I get that. But, but it, it, you, I was thinking about, I almost titled it this, The Messy Middle. Because if you think about this, this here, this, it's such an amazing chapter, right? I mean, I, I've shared with you, you know, that people, many commentators have said, you know, if the, if the Bible is like a gold ring, the, the book of Romans is like, you know, uh, a diamond, you know, that's set upon it. And chapter eight is, is its brilliance that it, it's just, you know, God's glory just being reflected. It's, it's one of the greatest single chapters in all of the Bible. And yet, you know, when you read it, you know, and I, and I get it because I, I love it myself. I read, you know, Romans chapter eight, verse one, and, and most of us know this by heart now, right? He says, now there is what? Therefore, no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. And we said, period, right? End of story. There's no downward judgment from God. That's what it's declaring when it says condemnation. God is not judging you because as we celebrate in communion, he judged his son. Amen. And then it ends in chapters 38 and 39, you know, with that realization of what? That neither height nor depth nor things present, nor things to come, nor principalities, nor powers, you know, all these things, Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. So like I said, it starts with no condemnation. It ends with no separation, right? And so we go, oh, oh I love, I love the book of Romans and especially chapter eight. And then it says this, this beautiful thing we, we studied last week. We said, you know, that we are now joint heirs together to think that we've been adopted into the family of God, that we have the privilege, each and every one of us, to be able to say to God, Abba, right? If you were with us last week, to cry out to him, say, Daddy. The Jews never understood God in that, in that way, wouldn't even speak the very name of God. And we've been taken to a level that we not only speak the name of God, but the very intimate name of God, Abba, Daddy. Joint heirs. And again, and understanding this in Roman culture to realize when you were adopted into the family, you weren't adopted into the family like a baby. You know, that if, if a baby had an inheritance, you don't just give the baby the complete inheritance, right? You would have an executor that you would put over that child until they reached a place of maturity. But in the language that Paul was using here in Romans chapter 8, in essence, when he's saying we've been adopted into the family of God in the Greek culture, in the Greek language, it was as if to say you were adopted as a adult heir, meaning that you have full right and privilege to everything that belongs to God. And we hear that and we go, yes, oh, that sounds so good, right? To think that the riches and glory that are in Christ Jesus, right? All that God possesses is mine. And he goes, yes, you're getting it. 
And then you read this verse, verse 17. And since we are his children, again, I'm reading from the NLT translation. It says, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. Oh, we love that, right? It says, in fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory, right? And look at this, favorite part of this whole chapter. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Oh, most of you have that highlighted, right? That's probably the thing that you go, oh, Pastor Mike, that's, the, that's where I hang my hat when I, you know, most of us, you, you probably didn't even know that was there until I just said it. You, you've gone like me. And, oh man, I get no condemnation. I get no separation. What are you talking about? Suffering. What? Wait, air. Why do I don't want to do that? Uh, let's just kind of peruse that and we'll just go right on to verse 18. It says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. Suffering. Why is that there? Suffering. Suffering now. Now I have to suffer. Not, not really what I had in mind. So it says this, it goes on, it says, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So let's take a moment and pray. Father, as we study this chapter, there's really just a, a couple verses that we want to hang our hat on today. And and uh, Lord, that we need your help in comprehending because Lord, there's one thing that all of us have in common is, is suffering, is pain. And we deal with all those things in this life. And so Lord, we need to comprehend how do we, how do we live victoriously through it? How do we deal with it? And if there is, Lord, what is the secret to suffering? And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to teach us uh, not the words of, of men, not the wisdom of man, but Lord, the wisdom of God that comes through your word today and by your spirit, Lord, minister to every heart here. Lord, we pray for your glory and our good as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, again, when you, you think of, you know, suffering, like I said, it's something that's obviously, you know, common in, in all of our lives. Again, and I, and I look at this because, like I said, I, Romans chapter 8, the, the secret to suffering really is found in this chapter. I mean, it's, it's, but you have to understand, it's by reading it in context, okay? It's when you take something, you know, out of context, it becomes a proof text, and that's not what we want here. Uh, but because it's so important, because all of us do suffer, like, let me, just by a show of hands, you can prove it to yourself. Uh, by a show of hands, everybody in here, how many you either currently are suffering or you've suffered at some point in your past. If you have, raise your hand, okay? Is there anybody who has yet to suffer in the sanctuary today? You have yet to suffer. You have never suffered in your entire life, okay? Okay, it's good because we didn't have anybody in the first service either. So, so again, we don't necessarily like to talk about this, but it's something that we have in common. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul has no problem talking about it, obviously, and bringing it out because there's a reason. Because one, it's something that we all share in. So it's important that as we share in it, that we can share it with one another. What's that old expression? Misery loves what? company, right? Okay. That's, that's not what God had in mind. What he desired is what the apostle Paul said is that we comfort one another with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted by God. See, a lot of times in the world, people will say, well, we need to get you to talk to so-and-so because so-and-so went through the same thing that you went through. But what you start to realize is no two people suffer alike. You know, we, we suffer in different ways. We all suffer 
but, but our suffering is unique to us. And, and so God himself wants to be that comfort. And that's what Paul was saying is that you don't have to, because people go all the time. They'll tell us, they would tell either myself or Larry or Ron praying with us as the elders of the church going, you know, I don't really know what my ministry is. I mean, I don't feel comfortable doing this. And I don't think I could do this. And I, and you go, and we, we start focusing and go, well, what, what's the issue here? And they go, well, I haven't been through that. And I wouldn't know how to relate. And you go, that's not what we're here to do. We're here to share Jesus. We're here to lift up Jesus because Jesus can relate. Jesus is the one. And so when Paul says, you know, we comfort one another with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted by God. If you are a born again Christian, if you're following God, you know then that you can come alongside any person, whatever they're going through in this life. You don't personally have to relate to it. The beauty of it is to say that we have a God who can relate to it. Amen. And what is our job to do as ambassadors for Christ is to point people to Jesus, that we're not here on our own accord, that we're doing the things that God would lead us to do. And so as I look at this, like I said, I I titled this morning's message, The Secret to Suffering, because I I really believe, you know, God has a way that he wants us to approach suffering, pain and sorrow in our lives. And he maps it out right here. It's why we do love, you know, Romans chapter eight. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, he writes this. He says, we can ignore even pleasure. But pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Has pain get your attention? Oh, like nothing else in this world does. See, one of the things, you know, that's funny about being a pastor is, you know, people say, you know, uh, let there not be many teachers who rise up from amongst you because you incur a stricter judgment from God, right? That's judgment day, right? But do you realize that happens actually every day in the life of someone who teaches the word of God? I don't care if you teach from a pulpit or you teach a home Bible study, you're going to, by God's design, get to experience things. So that way you can speak as one with what? Authority or experience. So I'm on the topic of suffering this week, you know, Great. You know, it's not just a a word, you know, so obviously I've shared with you. So I have, you know, chronic back pain. I deal with that all the time. So that wouldn't, that was enough. Okay. I thought, you know, Lord, okay. If there's anybody that can understand pain on a day-to-day basis, I, I get it. I totally understand. If you've had sciatica, you, you get it. You don't have to do anything. You can go to brush your teeth and, and all of a sudden it just, it just grabs you. Right. So, and the doctors will say, they go, Hey, it doesn't matter that you don't have to stop, you know, doing activities because it doesn't make any difference. It just picks and chooses whatever activity it wants for it to, to get your attention. So you're not going to do more damage. So that's the, that's the good thing about it. So I'm thinking of this all week long. Cause I'm going, Hey, I'm, I'm teaching on suffering. I get it. I understand it. I know what pain is. I know what sorrow. I know what suffering. I know what hurting so bad is that I'm going, God, please kill me right now. I mean, just take me. I mean, it, that, uh, seriously, my I, I, honey, I love you. I love our kids. I love our grandkids. But yeah, I'm just, I'm hurt. I'm just tired. I, I, and I just want to go home, you know? And she says, well, don't talk like that. And I go, serious. I go, and I'm not, I'm not kidding. I go, it's just that you can get your pain level, you know, gets to a certain, and I'm glad that God doesn't take me in that moment. Trust me. Cause I, I'll come out of it. But it's when you're in pain. You're in pain. You hurt so bad. And I know for me, that's physical. For some of you, it's emotional pain. You know, you deal with issues with family and friends and things. And and that pain is just as every much painful to you in your spirit as my back is to me physically. And I understand that. 
And there's, there's spiritual pains. There's, there's all kinds of pains that we have to deal with in this life. And so when I look at this, you know, I, I'm going, okay, God, um, you know, I, I want to be able to teach this. So yesterday this thing happened. So my wife is doing a, a craft fair and she's makes all these things out of wood and different, anything that you guys would throw away as junk. My wife takes, you know, trash and turns it into treasure. That's her, her thing. And, uh, so she loves making stuff. So she has this ladder. She has two of them. They're really old, uh, those old wooden ladders, right? And she puts wood, pieces of wood across them, makes shelves for her items. So I have to take these two ladders. And so I'm carrying them to set them up downtown at the mechanics center there out by the, the fountain outside. And so I go and I set the ladder down. And when I set the ladder down, I, ah, I get a splinter. It goes no kidding, I still, I can't show it to you because it's this finger and you'll think that I'm doing something. So it's this finger, okay, this, this finger right here, okay, and it goes almost the whole entire fingernail, okay, so, so it's, it's there and so it happens and it hurts really bad, but, but I had to laugh, see, because you know, wherever, wherever God's doing something, the devil's always lurking there, right? You know, all the time, right? So I get this, this, this splinter. And so I stand up and I go, hmm, I go, oh, suffering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It hurts so bad, I, you know, because you want to cry, but I thought I'll just laugh. So I'm holding it my wife. Oh my gosh, honey. And this is her first words out of her mouth. I mean, this is a splinter. She goes, do we need to go to the, the, uh, Medi Center? Because it's like all the way, and I go, no, I go, you know, we come this far, we'll figure it out, you know. And it, and it hurts so bad. And I'm, and I'm standing there, and I'm thinking, no, I'm going, okay, this is funny, God. I mean, not funny, but maybe it's funny to you, but it's not really funny to me. But I'm having this conversation with God. I'm going, I go, I'm teaching on suffering tomorrow. How is it this little tiny splinter? I mean, this splinter is so small, but it is killing me. I mean, literally, I can't do anything. I'm just standing there. I'm just holding my hand. It's throbbing in pain, right? And, and I'm sitting there, and immediately I start thinking about the cross. And I'm going, this little, tiny, tiny piece of wood is under my fingernail and is causing me an excruciating amount of pain. And to think that my Lord and your Lord, he went to a cross. See, I can comprehend some aspect of pain because I know it's not one for one in scripture. Though this is the way we think because we struggle with, you know, the concept of, you know, what is it? Why does bad things happen to what? Good people. See, so you think the same way I do in that, right? And you go, hmm. And you go, I know the consequence of sin. I, I've sinned and I have no consequence from that. Jesus knew no sin. He, he was pure. He's perfect in every way. And he took the entire weight of the world, not just mankind, but all of creation. That's why Paul says later, we're going to study this. That's why I'm going to go slow through this, this middle section here, this, what I call the messy middle. Okay. Uh, the messy middles. You look at this and you're going, man, because I can relate to that because I have sin, but he who knew no sin became sin for me and you. To think what he would through, even going to the cross, we have a picture of it in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Is that perspiring blood drops, realizing that 
the fellowship that he enjoyed with his father was going to be broken for the first time in eternity when he took my sin and your sin, when he was nailed to that cross. He was beaten, right? Beyond recognition. And I mean, I have this little tiny splinter under my fingernail and it's killing me. And I'm thinking, wow. And it doesn't compare to what Jesus, and I'm thinking, well, pain does something in in our life if we allow it. It it will draw us to God by God's design that we would begin to comprehend something. It's not that it's all bad, you know, and and it was just an amazing thing that I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm this one little tiny splinter. And then all of a sudden, I mean, so much of just God's word, just God begins to, to quicken to your heart and your mind. And, and what was amazing, and, and I mean this in all sincerity, as soon as that happened, it didn't hurt at all. It hasn't hurt since then. I mean, it's the weirdest thing, you know, that I've, it, it went from throbbing pain and all of a sudden it's like, it's there. And it was just like Paul going, it's, it's a reminder. You know, I could pray three times that God would take this from me, this thorn in my finger, you know. He says, but my, my grace is sufficient for you. And it's just a, it's just a, a wonderful reminder, you know, the, even just preparing for this yesterday, just to meditate on that, you know, all day long, you know, because pain really does. It, it gets our attention like nothing else will. There's a song by R.E.M. It's called Everybody Hurts. And it really, it, it articulates probably the most pronounced, you know, aspect of life, you know, in that we all suffer. There's not one of us. I mean, it's unavoidable. So the question really with regard to pain and suffering, it's not, you know, if we suffer, it's what? When. And what are we going to do when we suffer? And this is really where Romans chapter 8 comes to mind. Because I'll tell you, the secret to suffering, this is, and again, I hope you get it. It's like a paradox, right? That, That how God uses suffering, you know, for his glory in our life. But the secret, if there is a secret, it's mapped out very clearly here in Romans chapter eight, when you see it, you'll, you'll get it, you know, but until you see it, you don't get it. And it's right here in the middle. And, and I love the fact that he puts it right here in the middle, because as I shared with you, he starts with no condemnation. He ends with no separation and then go back to the beginning. And he says, and you've been adopted into the family of God where you can cry out Abba father. Right. And then once that's in place and he goes, Oh, but know this, the, the first really step and the first place that you're going to experience God is going to be in suffering. And you go, Whoa, wait a second. And you go, so then what's the secret to suffering? And you go, then read, read it in context. Don't take it out of context. Don't just park on it for your whole life and go, oh, see suffering, suffering is that there's a purpose. There's a plan for suffering. You know, I, I've shared with you many times from this pulpit, God never wastes a hurt. Okay. He never wastes a hurt. So he invites us into this family. We become joint heirs with Jesus. And when we become joint heirs is suffering part of God's family. Yeah, we call it what the passion week of, of the Christ. What is the word passion? It means suffering. Jesus suffered tremendously, right? And he and we go, whoa, you know, ah, I didn't know that, you know, I mean, buying into this whole Jesus thing meant buying into suffering. And you go, yes, it's part of the package. Now, the only way that I could relate to this, and I don't know about you, now, in my family, okay, uh, I've shared with you, you know, 2013. I went to the hospital, I had a stint put in, but before I had a stint put in, I went and had a checkup. I was at that time was riding, you know, my bike probably around 7,000 miles a year or so. My wife and I, we just love to this day, we still love cycling, just can't do it to that degree. 
And, and I just felt really fatigued. So I went to the, the doctor. So they took me in. They did a, an echocardiogram. And they said, Mike, now your heart's fine. And my, I remember sitting with my cardiologist because my, my dad had had quadruple bypass surgery. My mom had high blood pressure. My oldest sister had high blood pressure. My next sister had high blood pressure. My younger brother had high blood pressure. But I had nothing. And my doctor, he looks at me and he goes, Mike, maybe you were adopted. <laughs> and uh, he goes, because I can tell you this. He goes... You, you don't have what your family has. And I was like, yes. I go, I love being in my family, but I don't want that, right? I love my mom and dad. I love my sisters. I love my brother, but I don't want that as part of my DNA. And he goes, don't worry about it. He goes, matter of fact, he goes, I'm going to keep this picture of your heart up on the screen so I can show people. He goes, because you know, a weak heart, he goes, obviously, you know, would barely beat. He goes, you know, a normal heart will beat, you know, like this. And he goes, but your heart actually, he goes, if you know anything about like a muscle car, he goes, it's like it pivots on the motor mounts. He goes, it's so strong. It pivots. And he goes, I can show that. He goes, cause it's such a definite thing. So I walk out of there. I'm like, yeah, I can remember telling my parents, yeah, maybe I was adopted, you know? And, uh, and so six months later, I'm having a stint put in. I have 90% blockage in my left interior descending artery. They missed it. And I'm like, what? And, and I remember sitting with the doctor. I mean, I was, I was broken. And, and I didn't, you know, I was like, and he looks at me and he goes, Mike, he goes, there's nothing you can do. He goes, it's part of your DNA. And he goes, the thing, and he said that because he loved my mom and dad and uh, he's a born again Christian, he's Dr. Maddox and just, you know, love this guy. And uh, he, he says, uh, he goes, you know, that's part of our genetic makeup. He goes, whatever, you know, your parents have, that's handed down. And I remember as he told that to me, Romans chapter eight came to my mind. And I remember having to process that you go, that's part of the package, right? I mean, and, and knowing what I know, would I change it? And I go, no. And I've shared this with Ron and I've shared it with, you know, Larry, Ron, Ron, Larry. <laughs> I, I wouldn't change it for a world, the world, what it's done to my life. As much as I, I, there's things that I liked, I like my relationship with the Lord much better. I, enjoy my relationship with my wife much better, my children much better, my friends. It changes your life because it puts your priorities into perspective, you know, and what really matters. Because it's so easy, you know, for people to get caught up in whatever the things that they get caught up in life. And, and, and pain and suffering can be a very positive thing. And so I, I look at it in my own life. I mean, it, for me, I can't speak for you because you have to go through your own pain. You have to go through your own suffering. But it's not all bad. That's the thing, because it puts life into perspective. I live every single day of my life going, this could be the last day. You know, and that's not a fearful thing. It was. I mean, just be honest. For the first year, oh, yeah, I'd go to bed every night because my heart does weird, weird things. I go in for an echocardiogram now. I always like when they bring students in to listen to my heart. The guy will be doing this. He's going, he's going. So my heart goes like this because instead of going you know, like a normal heart, mine goes, it's got a song playing. I don't know. I have no idea, but, but the kids, I mean, they, he, he's sitting there listening to it and he looks at the lady who's doing the, the test and he goes, can you hear that? That's not normal. I mean, you know, if I wasn't worried about, you know, but I mean, I'd, I'd have a heart attack listening to the guy. Then he follows me into the doctor's office and he goes, doctor, I just need to tell you, he has a very abnormal echocardiogram. And the doctor's like, look at him, looks at me and he, I'm laughing. He's like, cause he knows I'm at this point, I don't even care. And he's like, oh, that's normal for Mike's heart. 
like that. And he's like looking at him. He goes, just trust me. So he walks out and he goes, hey, it just is what it is, you know. And I'm going, yeah, I, I get it. But man, the first year of my life scared me to death. I, I, mean, I confess, I would lay in bed at night and I'd hear my heart. You, that's, you ever do that? You lay on your pillow, you know, and you hear, you know, it's quiet. And, you're, and my heart's going, and I'm like, I'm thinking my wife can hear it. It's so bad. You're like, and it just, you know, and then you've got the enemy of your soul and everything else. So, you know, like I said, you start going, okay, God, uh, are we good? Because, you know, and, and it's, and, and so I can look at that and I'm going, I would have never chosen that. You know, like I had a book of things to sit down and go over and you go, but I get it. I get it. It is, it has brought me to my knees. Okay. And I get it. And so I go, Lord, you, you are so, so good. And it makes me really appreciate the, the, the words of Mother Teresa. She said this, she goes, I know God will not give me anything that I can't handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. You know, <laughs> it's, it's so true, but it's a package deal. You know, what I got by being in my family, guess what? You and I get by being in Jesus Christ. And suffering is part of the package. Because even it says of Jesus himself, it wasn't that when, I don't want to mischaracterize the statement, it says he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. It wasn't like, you know, he was a bad son, you know, like he had to, he, he had to suffer to, to learn that. What it's talking about is he was demonstrating his humanity, his trusting of the father. The writer of Hebrews says there's no son that God doesn't receive, that he doesn't chasten, that he doesn't discipline, right? And, but he poured out his chastisement on his perfect son, you know, again, who stood in our place. But the beauty of it is, is that suffering has a way. It's just like, you know, a good father it says, you know, a father that loves his children will do what? He'll discipline his children. It says, hold back, not the rod of correction. You know, parents say, oh, we don't spank our kids. And you go, well, God just says you don't love them. Because if you loved them, you would, because it says in doing so, you saved it. Well, I can just talk to him. And you go, well, I hope you can. I go, didn't work you know, for God. I mean, even on his own son and he was perfect in every way. So some things, you know, like I said, where psychology steps in, you know, maybe lean heavier to the word of God in that. And you go, and what, what is corporal punishment for? You go, it's only for willful disobedience. It's when you say to your child, you do this and they go, no, there's no timeout. That's going to fix that one. Okay. It says, hold back, not the rod of correction for by doing so you save their soul from hell. Sometimes it's just the suffering, you know, that helps bring about that correction in their life. But we suffer because we follow Jesus. And, and again, you know, what, what type of, of suffering is Paul talking about here in, in Romans chapter eight? See, a lot of times people say, well, it's suffering for your faith. That's true. That's one kind of suffering. But Paul suffered physically as well. He, he had some type of ailment. We don't even know what it is. And I'm glad that scripture doesn't tell us what it is because that way, every one of us who has any kind of ailment, we can be thinking, hey, maybe that's what God was talking about. And I think that's why God left it generic. It isn't just, you know, that you're suffering because you're a Christian. Suffering is just part of the world system in the fact that in Romans chapter five, you know, in verse, I think it's 14, what does it tell us? It says that sin entered into the world through one man. What came with sin? What, what came along with sin? It says death, right? And when death came, what did death do? Death held the door open for everything, right? Pain, sorrow, suffering, it all came in with it, okay? Through the sin of one man, all those things. So, because in our world, we go, you know, hey, 
well, wait a second, you know, I get the one for one. Consequence, you know, sin, yeah, okay, there's a consequence for it, right? But then all of a sudden you see somebody who isn't messing up, right? And, then, and this is the struggle that we all have. Why do bad things happen to what? To good people, because we get it. The one-for-one one ratio, that works for us. We go, they did it. It happens all the time. Somebody, you know, I have people come to me. Well, Pastor Mike, what uh, unconfessed sin do you have in your life that you have back pain? Probably a lot. And I go, uh, not none that I know of. I go, but, you know, um, if you know one that I don't, just go ahead and tell me so I can confess it, because I definitely would like to get this pain off my back, okay, literally. But that's what happens. And I get it. It doesn't even offend me because Jesus had the same issue with his disciples, right? They're walking along. I think it's in John chapter nine. They see the, the guy who's blind from birth, right? And they look at Jesus and they go, hey, Jesus, is he blind? Sin, consequence, right? They go, is he blind because of his sin? Or is he blind because of his parents' sin? Like did his parents have some type of sexually transmitted disease? And because of that, he ends up blind. Or was it his sin? And what did Jesus do? He, he didn't go, it's not either or. He said, he's blind. He said that God might be glorified. Well, through suffering? Yeah. Growing up, I had a friend that had a brother that was our, he was actually my age. My friend was older than me. His brother was my age. And he was born blind. He was born deaf. Um, I mean, you name it. He he couldn't walk, anything. And And I remember we would go in his bedroom. I remember because we, we all lived uh, growing up together. It was one of those unique, rare, really blessings in life. There was about five or six boys. We lived on the same block for like 18 years. I mean, so we were more like family. So I remember going in there and his, his name was Jimmy and, and, and I'm looking at him and I'm thinking as a kid, I'm going, wow, this is so sad. I mean, and, and they got to the point they could actually communicate with him. His mom developed some way that they could communicate, you know, when he was hungry and thirsty and everything else. And, and it was just, it was fascinating. But the thing that was most fascinating was this family. Because as I look back, when I, after I gave my life to the Lord, you know, you start looking over your life and how God put people in your lives at certain places along the way. There's no such thing as a coincidence, right? It's all divine providence. And, and I'm looking back and I'm thinking of all the families this family had more impact on my life than any of my, my family friends that lived around the neighborhoods. And I was thinking, why is that? And you go, because they were the kindest. They were the most humble. Um, they were the most patient for sure. in just the way that they dealt with all of us, you know, as kids. And I didn't get it at the time, right? But, I, but what did I learn from that? As I look back and I'm going, they learned obedience to God by what? The things that they suffered. And they could have put their child, you know, in, in, a, in a home. I mean, they could have made him a ward of the state. Um, but, you know, uh, his dad was a coach. He coached along with my dad. Um, he was, I think, uh, the son, one of the sons, you know, became a, a fire captain uh, here, you know, in the city. And, and just an amazing testimony. And you go, but you look at that and you go, you know, why? But then you look at the way that God uses pain and the way that he uses sorrow and the way that he uses suffering in our life to mold us and to make us and to transform us. It's part of the process that God takes us from no condemnation to no separation. Because you realize there's no better place because when you're suffering, I mean, if we're honest about it, you go, when, I, when my eyes are on me, I'm thinking what? Where's God? Where's God in all this? Why, why me, right? Why is this happening to me? And then all of a sudden, when you start recognizing that God is with you,
and you understand his presence and you start to understand his power in that, that you go, that you're not going through this alone. That we have a God who, who's there, who sympathizes with our weaknesses. In all points, he says he was tempted, but yet without sin. But he suffered, suffered tremendously. And so I, I get it. You know, and then I look at this because, you know, Paul goes on then in verse 18 of Romans 8. He says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he'll reveal to us. What's that last word in, in the new the, the NLT is later. He will reveal to us later. That, that's the key to really to victory over suffering. There in verse 18, it only, suffering only, church, hear me on this, suffering only makes sense in the context of eternity. Suffering only makes sense in the context of eternity. It cannot make sense in the temporal because everything God does, he does with eternity in mind. And yet we're you're looking for answers, right? You know, for everything. And the Bible doesn't tell us to look for answers. The Bible says, pray for the peace of God that surpasses understanding, that goes beyond, you know, but we want to try to figure it out, right? You know, we, we're, we're, we're asking for answers to the why questions, you know, and God's going, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to give you the answer for the why. I just want you to trust. I want you to trust that father knows best. That's why he invited us to cry out Abba, to cry out daddy. You can cry out to him and say, Abba, you know, daddy. I don't understand. And again, his, and he's not that he answers. He doesn't most of the time. He doesn't give you the answer for that. You know, answers would be substitutions for trust. And what he wants more than anything else is that you and I would trust him. Think of what the apostle Paul would say here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. He says, for our present troubles. So he's saying the things that you're going through right now, your troubles, your struggles, your trials, your suffering, he says, are small and won't last very long. This is from the NLT translation. It says, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all that will last forever. So I want you to picture this. Picture in your mind's eye a scale, right? So if I took all the trials all the problems, all the hurt, all the pain, all the sorrow that's in this sanctuary that re represents our lives, the scale would go like this, right? Boom, it would fall, it would just sink to the bottom. And you go, and Paul says, but wait, understand this. If I took an eyedropper, eyedropper of God's glory and dropped it on the other side, it would go like this. One drop of God's glory. See, because that's the problem that we have is that we're too short-sighted, okay? We're not looking at the big picture. That's what Romans 8 is about. You see it, then it's the big picture. There's no condemnation because there's no separation. Nothing, not even your sorrow, not even your pain, not even your trials, whatever you're going through, whatever suffering in this life, nothing can separate you from the God, that's the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. So what, what it needs to do is pull us forward that we focus on those things. Because if you don't, what you're going to do is you're going to go, oh, what about me? Da -da, da -da, da -da. And you're going to look back. You're going to keep looking back. Most of us today, you know, the reason that you aren't fruitful when you think about in your ministry is not because of something that you're facing today. It's something that you've had to face in the past. It's an amazing thing. If you really break it down, you know, I, I've shared this before. The devil is your worst enemy, but your second worst one is you because it's your past. It keeps haunting you. It keeps the, and, and you go, well, as a believer, I don't have a past. 
All I have in God is what? A future and a hope. That's why Paul's going, quit looking back. There's nothing back there to go to, but you have everything in front of you. That's why Lamentations would say the mercies of God are what? They're new yesterday, right? You missed it, sorry. No, it doesn't say that. It says they're new every morning and great is his faithfulness, amen? It's always pushing us forward. So he says, in verse 18 there, 2 Corinthians 4, he says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. It says, for the things which we now see will soon be gone, but the things that we cannot see will last forever. Again, Paul's going, you can't compare. You can't compare suffering to glory as glory outweighs, far outweighs suffering. Like I said, it's just an amazing, amazing truth. Now, so you have to look at Paul then. So you go, okay, I see what Paul's saying, but who is Paul? Because isn't that what even the Jews were doing? They're going, who's Paul? What authority does Paul speak with? Now, if you just said Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, I would have said, maybe you got something. Because what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration? You have Peter, James, and John are with Jesus there, right? And what does Jesus do? He's transfigured right before them. They see him, what? In his glory. They see what Jesus is going to be like at the end of time, right? And who are they standing there with on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses, the great lawgiver, and the great prophet, Elijah. Now that, what, you go, what did that, how did that change him? Well, you can just say this, it changed everything for him because it told them the end of the story. What they did was they got fast forward all the way to the very end. And they're going, oh, so everything you said is true. So no matter what we go through, even if they kill us, even if they kill us, we're going to live because you're the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in you, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he who believes in you will what? Never die. So all these things are starting to rattle around. They go, whoo, okay. That's like I told you. Be like this. If I took every one of you to heaven today and I showed you your mansion in the sky and what Jesus was prepared for you, and you really had your name on the door, okay, it's yours, you have a key that opens it, you know, would that change your life even today? Absolutely. Absolutely. The things that we hold on to, we've let go of. Because like you said, the things that you see are passing away. The things that you don't see are the things that are eternal. It would change our perspective. All of a sudden you'd go, that's it. I get it. And, and your motivation wouldn't be this world any longer. It would be what? The life to come. Does that make sense? That's what Paul's saying. He goes, yeah, so Paul, he, he's an authority. Paul's an authority, not just Peter, James, and John. You go, how is he an authority? Well, 2 Corinthians 11 says this. Are they, remember, he's, they're arguing with Paul about his authority as an apostle. He says, are they Hebrews? He's talking about the other apostles. He says, so am I. Are they Israelites? He says, so am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? You can just listen. He goes, so am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labor. Now look at, now he starts laying out his real credentials. Real credentials, okay? These are the credentials of being an apostle, being a servant of God, being a, a man or a woman that God really uses. He says, 
I am more, and labors more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisons more frequently, and deaths more often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils amongst the false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and in thirst and fastings often in cold and nakedness. He's like, wow, that's my credentials. You imagine going and apply in front of a job with that. You're going, that's your credentials. And you go, that's like a lot of suffering. You go, welcome to Christianity. And, and people are going, I want to sign up. But that's exactly what Paul's saying. He's going, besides other things, he says, what comes upon me daily? He says, and the, and the deepest thing that comes upon him daily, he says, my deep concern for all the churches. Like I said, say I deal with a lot of physical pain. Some of you deal with a lot of emotional pain. Paul's talking about the emotional pain there, the spiritual pain. Not wanting people to go to hell that are in your life. Loving them so much that it keeps you awake at night. It gets you up early in the morning. And it breaks your heart. When you're having the most wonderful time in your life, and all of a sudden that thought comes in, they go, yeah, but what about them? And you realize, whew, you know, yeah, missing something there. So can Paul... Can Paul speak as someone, as an authority when it comes to suffering? What would you say? Yeah. yeah. How about glory? Ah, got him there. Got him on the glory one. Okay. Oh, no, no. Oh. Well, he wasn't at the Mount of Transfiguration, was he? No. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 through 4. Paul, speaking of himself here, though, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know. Whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows. He says, such a one was caught up into the third heaven. Not the sky, not the universe, but heaven. Okay? He's going the third heaven. The presence of God in the Greek language is what that says. He was taken into the presence of God. He says, and I know such a man, whether in body or not of the body, I do not know. God knows. For he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words. So he got to hear the worship of heaven. He heard the very voice of God in heaven. It says, which is not lawful for a man to utter. And so what did he get? He got a messenger sent from Satan, right? To buffet his flesh, right? So that he couldn't, what? He couldn't boast. When you get to that point, they go, you're nobody. And he goes, hey, let me tell you. Oh, sorry, God. Yeah, I can't talk about that. But it's so he would know it was his motivation on those dark days, and those hard days, when he was suffering, when he was in pain, is to remember he knew the end of the story. That's what he knew. He knew the end of the story. He saw the glory of God. And so we're all sitting there today and we go, okay, Pastor Mike, I get that. You go, but what about us? What about us? That's them. Well, what did Paul write to me and you? I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor is it entered in the heart of man, the things which God has prepared, what? For them that love him. But he has revealed them to us by what? His spirit. That spirit that he just told us he gave us, that spirit that's working in us, that, that cries out, Abba, that cries out, Daddy. And the spirit, you know, where Paul in Romans chapter seven, remember he was going, I, me, I can't, I, you know, I, I try so hard, I fail. I, uh, he's not talking about I any longer. In chapter eight, it's the spirit, the spirit, the spirit. He always starts to get it. You go, God's in control and he's working in our life and he's drawing us ultimately to himself.
What a beautiful picture, you know, that. And yet you look all through scripture. So many examples. You know, I think of just a few, you know, the jealousy over Joseph. I mean, imagine, you think Joseph hurt? You think when Joseph was thrown into a pit by his brothers, left for dead? You think he cried? Yeah. Well, you don't read all that in scripture, but he was human. You know, you think his heart was broken? Thinking, wow, I can't believe they did this to me. He suffered. We, we know the end of it. Oh, you know, what God, you know, what the enemy meant for evil, God used for good, right? Because we know the end of the story. The story always ends up good. We go, oh, that's for them, you know. How about Moses? Do you think Moses was insecure? He was a great leader. Do you think he was insecure? Scripture tells us that he was, right? He was a stutterer. He, he didn't wax eloquence when he spoke. People probably made fun of him. And then when he tried to reach the people, what did they do? They rejected him. They didn't want his leadership. And but he falls in love with them so much. He says, I'd rather be identified, you know, with my own people than, than the wealth and the riches of Egypt. And he tells God, he goes, if you're going to blot them out of your book, blot me out too. Man, but I mean, do you think, do you think he got upset? Think he dealt with anger? You don't have to go there. You know, you hit a rock one too many times. How about the betrayal of David? You ever had a son, your own son, betray you? Want you dead? Treat you as if you're dead? Try to kill you? You know, we read about things all the time like that. And you go, and here's David who has to watch, you know, his own son die because of his foolishness. Do you think David cried? Think David knew what suffering was? But yet God said that he was a man after God's own heart. You know, all these great people. Think of Hannah. You know, read about Hannah going through the pain, wanting a baby, can't have children. And just, you know, being tormented by people that can. Cruelty. You think Hannah cried? Well, we know she did. She cried so much that, you know, Eli thought she was drunk. She was that despondent. How about Esther? Think of the agony of Esther. What'd you say? If, if I perish, I perish, right? You get to that point in your life where you're going, if I do this, I'm probably going to die. Suffering, you know, it's all through scripture. It's, it's not foreign to any of us. The difference that made the difference in all these people was they saw the end of the story. They saw the end of the story. You think of in your own life, when you get sideways, when you give up and you see people that have walked away from the faith, people aren't walking with God and you go, why? You go, because they lost sight of the end of the story. They became short-sighted, you might say. I wanted to close with this. I put in my notes here, because of Jesus, all of our pain is temporary and all of our joy is eternal. You need to remember that. But there's three purposes of pain that just kind of jump out of this at me. If you're a note taker, I just encourage you to write these down or just or think about these, just meditate on these or just really quickly here. Three purposes of pain. One, pain purifies. Pain purifies. I can only speak for my own life. You know, I know that, you know, as I suffer, it makes me think about what's important and what's not important. Okay. You know, laying there in a hospital bed going, okay, you know, this could be it. So, you know, talking with my wife, having great conversations with my wife, having great conversations with my kids of going, if today, if I walked out of here, seriously, if I fell over dead, you know, it's like, 
and I've lived a great life. I, 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 I mean, I, there was nothing, I have no regrets. I, have, I mean, I have regrets in my life, but I mean, no regrets. Of, I mean, it's like, oh, he didn't get to, you know, he had 27 things on his bucket list. No. No. It purifies. First Peter 4.1 says, so then Christ suffered physical pain. He says, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. And what that's saying is, when you're so focused on Jesus, do you have time for sin? That's basically the way you go. You let everything go because you go, I'm so focused on you know, what the Lord has for me. You know, pain has a way of purifying us. So true. The second thing, just as important, pain has a way of helping me identify with Jesus in a deeper way. Because he suffered. And then when you suffer, because it's like when you love someone, right? You go, honey, I'm, I'm here. You know, I, I watched, a, a, there was a scene that it was a NASCAR driver got in an accident and his car was on fire. And his dad jumps over the wall and he reaches into the, the car while it's burning. And this is, you know, fuel for a race car, right? And he's unharnessing his son because his son can't get out of the car and pulls his son to safety. And they both had burns on him. But the dad said, if, if my son was going to die in the fire, I was going to die right there with him. He said, whatever he's experienced, I'm going to experience because that's what love does. Love, love doesn't go, you know, you know, it's like we say about friendship, right? When trouble's coming your way, you know, the whole world's running away from you. But what are your friends doing? They're coming to you, right? That's what love does. And when you're suffering, there's something about it that just helps you identify with what Christ did. Like I said, I've got a splinter underneath my finger now, and I'm going this little tiny splinter that, that is killing me. And Jesus took the nails. But see, I didn't plan on it. It'd be one thing if I did this. Hey, there's a splinter in that, in that ladder. I'm going to stick my finger in it so that I can identify with the pain of Jesus, like in advance, right? And people go, no way. And I go, yeah, because I want to feel pain so, and suffering so that I can identify with my Savior. And I go like this, and they go, oh, my gosh. You go, yeah, it hurts. Yeah, it hurts. They go, oh. Well, that's what Jesus did with the cross. He knew exactly what was taking place. He said, no one takes my life from me but I lay my life down that I might take it up again. He goes to the garden. He's perspiring blood drops, right? Because he knows what's coming. The father, for the first time in history, is going to turn his back on his son. And it says, the most amazing thing to me, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, for the joy that was set before him. The joy? He endured the cross, despising its shame. What was the joy? This right here, seeing you in heaven, it was worth every bit of pain. If you were the only person that ever walked the face of this earth, Jesus would have died for you. Think about that today. He would have took the pain. And we, and we hurt, like somebody hurts our feelings. They hurt my feelings. You know, I hate them. You know, they hurt, you know, what? If you, it's like the word of God says, if you, if you, if you suffered to the point of shedding blood, no, no. But man, we get so bent out of, out of shape. The third and the final. Pain brings glory to God. Suffering. People are watching you, aren't they? They watch how you suffer. They watch, you know, you bump your hand. You go, ah, son of a... And they go, oh, he, he's just like the rest of us. You know? 
Or you go, oh, praise God. What are, you, what are you trying to show me? And then somebody's like, oh, you know, because what, garbage in? So you ever had your cup bump? Whatever's in your cup's coming out, right? Fill it with good stuff. Good stuff goes in your cup, good stuff will come out. Can't fake that, right? Now, Philippians 2, 6 through 11 says, though he was God, he did not regard it equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what's the secret? The secret to suffering is knowing the end of the story. Know the end of the story. And when you do, it'll change your life. That's what Romans 8 is all about. When you understand the past is covered, right? Justification, these three words of Romans, justification, sanctification, glorification. Your past is forgiven, right? Your present can be managed and your future is secure. Why? Because of Jesus. And man, when that gets inside of our head and our heart, you go, it changes everything. It changes everything. That's why you hear Larry many times from this pulpit, he'll be telling you to go, just remember this, what? You know, what is our reasonable act of worship? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we, you need to have people come alongside you and go, hey, don't look back. You know, I, I tell you all the time, don't you love that quote by Corey Tin Boom? I look around, what happens? I get distressed, right? She said, when I look down, she goes, I get depressed. She goes, but when I look up, she goes, my heart's at rest. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and Lord, just for this opportunity in the book of Romans to stop and to think about a, a subject matter that's not popular at all in our lives, but Lord, it's so relevant because Lord, we do. We, we all suffer in many ways and we don't suffer necessarily because of our own sin. We do suffer because of that, but that's not every day, but we suffer because there's sin in this world. Because when Adam sinned, sin and death came into this world. And like I said, held the door open for every other hurt and heartache known to mankind. But Lord, thank you that you came today. And it's what we celebrate in communion, that you came and Lord, you offer us victory in yourself, that you came, you lived, you died, and you rose again. And that's what we celebrate in communion today, thanking you and praising you. May it be a, a sweet time, Lord, of communion with you today. Just be reminded of your love for us and what you went through on our behalf. And Lord, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for those that are here, those that are watching online. May you bless them today. For those that are hurting, Lord, those that are, that are suffering, God, may you bring them comfort today. Lord, as they don't look back, they don't look down, but Lord, they look up, they look ahead. Lord, they look at the end game, God. They look at what's in store for those that love you and are called according to your purpose. Bless your church, Lord, today as we receive communion together. In Jesus' name, amen.